Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burger Master. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burger Master is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burger Master on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everyone, it's Brian. The real estate market is crazy. Finding an agent you can trust isn't easy. Thankfully, the one thing I'm more certain of than Brian Schottenheimer calling a running play on second and long is that you can trust John Hurlbut and his team at Altitude Homes. I know John personally, and nobody does it better in Pierce, South King, and Thurston County. So head on over to altitude-re.com HB to get real estate help you need. That's altitude-re.com HB. Or give them a call at 253-222-2626. Again, that's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks! Hey all Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com, click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fan life. Okay, welcome everybody. It is Wednesday, and that means it's time at, at 7.30 Pacific time, p.m., to talk real hot talk with the fellas. I am Brian Emhauser, uh, at Hawk Blogger on Twitter, and I'm joined, as always, by Evan Hill, at Evan Hill S-E-A, uh, over there in Scottsdale. How you doing, Evan? Good. It's good to be back. I'm sorry I missed last week. I, you guys had some good shows without me, so excited to jump back in. Well, you know, we were happy to have you uh, spend some time with the PODE, um, and hopefully that uh, that show went really well for you guys. It did. Cool. Uh, and then also, Real Jeff Simmons, uh, at Real Jeff Simmons, up there in Toronto. He's got a gleaming new computer that is coming to you in crystal clear HD um, quality. So welcome, uh, Jeff. What's going on? Uh, you guys had a, I just listened to your show Sunday. I couldn't make that one, but that was a really interesting game. The new, com the new computer got me hyped. So a lot more <laughs> hype than that game. So yeah. Talk about tonight. Yeah. Let's talk about, we'll talk about the game a little bit. We did have the post post game show, but let's, uh, let's spend a little time recapping since you guys weren't part of the post game show. Uh, what, what were some of your, you know, your top level takeaways from that game? Like, how did you, how did you enter that game and how did you exit the game? What were the biggest changes? And, and Jeff, maybe let's start with you. Um, I thought you guys did a good job covering just like the hype trains that kind of got slowed down after they played a tougher level of competition. Uh, the Vikings are a really good team. The only thing really holding them back is a quarterback and guys like Marquise Blair and, Jazz Ferguson guys, we were kind of beaming about even Paxton Lynch to an extent before he got hurt. They just looked like radically different players against a better team. From a Seahawks perspective, I think the biggest thing that we've talked about so many times on this show is just the secondary. The secondary doesn't look good at all. And right now, it doesn't seem like Blair's ready to play as a starter yet. He's got back problems right now. But between the big plays that are given up by the corners, the lack of playmaking from anyone other than McDougal last year, and the secondary, like a group that Pete specializes in, they don't look good. And I don't see any reason why they will all of a sudden. So I'm not, that's, that's the, my, almost my biggest fear surrounding the team. And that jumped out last week. How about you, Evan? Uh, what, were, what were your top takeaways from that game? Yeah, really two things stood out to me, both on the defensive side of the ball. Um, Shaquille Griffin is somebody we've talked a lot about on this podcast, you know, had a, had a pretty decent rookie year. We feel like had a pretty big sophomore slump, uh, gave up a long pass to Adam Thielen in, in the game, which in, in which Jeff mentioned, that's like the cardinal rule for PKL defenses is don't give up the long ball. They will take, you know, the 10, 15 
even 20 yard slants all day long. They just don't want the explosive plays against them. The 45, the 50, the 55 year old, 55 year old, the 55 yard bombs from a co- opposing quarterback. So Shaq is really somebody I feel like we need to keep an eye on and somebody we're not talking enough about. I'm not sure if you guys remember, it was either last week or the week before they were rotating a King King in at his spot and giving him first team reps and switching Shaq to, to second team reps. So I, I don't know, you know, that's a super small sample size of only a couple practices, but I think that's a position to watch, especially with an eye on, on Shaq and the second defensive player on a positive light uh, was Puna Ford. I, I thought he was disruptive all game. I thought he balled out. I thought um, even the quote today from Pete that said, like, in hindsight, we should have played him a ton more was super revealing. I think um, when you look at why he fell in the draft is mainly due to his height. It's almost like a little Russell Wilson-esque type, um, you know, draft slide. And as a result, he went undrafted and he was successful last year for us. He was a day one, almost a day one contributor. And, you know, he'll be a pretty, pretty big contributor with Jaron Reed being suspended the first six games. So yeah. super excited about him. That's a great one. And and I, I, I have a tendency to read a lot into a very little from press conferences and those tidbits and sound bites I hear from Pete. But I'll, I very keenly remember a press conference midway through last season where someone was asking about Puna Ford and he had just started sneaking in some snaps and Pete said something along the lines of that, you know, Clint, the defensive line coach had really been pushing for him. And the implication was that Pete was the one that had kind of been skeptical based on his height. And I think, you know, knowing where they were in that season and knowing what, how much that season meant to Pete and his career and how much he like put it all on the line last year, firing all the coaches, shit canning all the players pretty much like I I don't think he was willing to take the risk but this isn't the first time that we've seen a player ball out and it take the offseason for the for for Pete and the team to realize that they should play more and Frank Clark's the one that recently comes to mind I mean he was as a rookie was really effective but was not getting many snaps at least then you could argue that there were some really good players in front of him Puna Ford was playing behind like Shamar Stefan. Like it was, it was a really, it was a really conservative and fear-based decision, I think, to not play Puna last year. That sucks. The plus side is, man, he's looking like, I mean, Pete has in successive press conferences compared him to, uh, who's the guy in Tennessee? Jarrell Casey, who he had at USC. Pro Bowl, I think may have been eventually an all-pro level defensive tackle. And then today he compared him to Henry Thomas, who, mm. if I'm not mistaken, is Hall of Fame. Um, so, you know, those – and we had Justin Britt say he could be one of the best nose tackles to ever play. It's probably all a little bit ahead of the curve, but I think he's – look, he had three plays last week – or three tackles last week. All three of them constituted failures for the offense, according to Pro Football Focus. So – the guy's a playmaker and he was robbed robbed of a pretty big fumble force uh by the goal line i was pretty pissed about that i don't know i shouldn't be i care about a preseason game but i was i was annoyed about that for a few days this guy makes a play you give him the play like that was absolutely it i mean i've never seen forward progress called as stopped when the player's still getting twisted backward like that's when he's still running forward and guys are piling on. Like that was a really weird call. I, thought, I think they hit the two deep bombs right after that too. They did. I mean, think about how many, we might feel different about this game if they'd gotten that play, scored a touchdown, and we never saw the two deep bombs. You know, against those two corners, <clears throat> a very, very different feeling after that game. And it's unfortunate because I wanted to see the uh, first team offense get some red zone work. Mm-hmm. They, they looked pretty good. That was probably the biggest positive of the game. One thing that you pointed out, Brian, that – sorry, just to go off on a quick tangent, was those horizontal-type play-action uh, play designs. You know, I'm not an X's and O's guys, but that's not something we saw a ton of last year. And if you see more of that, you know, that's exciting. It's something to watch. Yeah, to, to, to expand on that a little bit, for folks that maybe didn't read the, the Morning After article and, and – um, I don't know this to be the case. And sometimes I'm right. Sometimes I'm wrong like everyone else. But my instinct is, I mean, I've seen Russell Wilson historically be primarily a vertical route 
thrower. He throws seams, he throws goes, some comebacks, but, you know, crossing routes, I mean, there's been some, but like really horizontal stretch routes aren't as common in my mind. And in training camp, it's, it's really come out as almost all the tight end routes have been crossing the face of the quarterback. And a lot of them, like Russell, especially throwing from right to left, has just been money on those all through training camp intermediary intermediate routes. And in that game, there was a lot of that going on. We saw that with Jerron Brown deep downfield and the offensive line was blocking well enough for him to be able to let those are kind of slow developing plays a lot of times. And I thought that was really nice to see Brown had like two catches for 52 yards. I mean, he looked, he looked like, you know, a guy that you won't be embarrassed to throw out there. Um, of course he fooled us last preseason. So who knows, but um yeah, I think that was that was interesting. Did you guys so so Evan, you mentioned Jeff, do you see that as well or am I am I uh, over overthinking here? No, I think uh, that a lot of the plays that Russell hit last week, the drawn brown crosser and that that looked different. The whole offense looked I don't know if they were just testing some things in preseason, but I was kind of inspired by how Shoddy was calling that game and how they were attacking on first down and I might be reading into nothing, but I found that I noticed that too when I was watching the game. They looked a little different, especially from the play actions and the kind of plays they were running. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I have this tendency to be high on Russell when people are low and low on Russell when people are high. And I, I don't mean it to be. I'm not contrarian specifically, intentionally in that case. But a lot of people were kind of like down on the first team offense. And they were kind of like saying uh -huh. hey, Russell missed a couple throws. You know, he obviously he missed that throw to Carson. I I. I think he missed the throw to John Brown. People are saying John Brown should have caught it. John Brown saying he should have caught it. I think that was a high throw. It was not a, a well-thrown ball. But those were the only two. I mean, I, th I thought he was crisp. I thought he made some really tough throws. I thought he looked in command. I thought he looked on time. He was in the rhythm of the offense. There wasn't a lot of, like, playground stuff. I thought he looked like a really polished quarterback. So I, I thought that was a really encouraging um, performance by him. Yeah, I don't know if you saw Brian Baldinger, who does those great, like, two-minute videos. Had a whole video on how good Russell's play actions looked and how good the offensive line pass protected. Even Ethan Posick had a couple, like, finish, like finishing blocks where he got – it was really cool to watch just him focus on Russell. And I thought that was for sure the number one – I thought Chris Carson looked great too, but I thought the passing offense was easily the best takeaway from that game. Maybe other than that, favorite kicker. <laughs> While we're on the topic of the offense, did precise or precise play? You know the answer to that question, smartass. No, 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 no. Like I'm being dead serious. I thought he was active for the game. <laughs> Physically, he was there. No, he no, was... no, no. I thought he was like active for the game, and I was like watching for him all game, and he didn't play. So I'm I'm not being sarcastic right now. Like I actually no. thought he was active. That was a, I thought that was like a classic troll, but, but no, he did not play. He was active, I believe. Um, but he just didn't play. He didn't play. Carol said in his press conference today that both McKissick and Procise will play this week. Okay. So I will be really interested to see what those two look like. I feel like both of those guys would have looked better than a lot of the running backs we saw in that game. Although, I liked I liked what Travis Homer did. I didn't think he was amazing, but you know that offensive line was messy, yeah. and it got messier. And and Homer found uh, some some room. Rashad Penny did not. And and Evan, you, you happened to end up uh, for people that didn't follow along today. You seem to have a little bit of a conversation with the Penny family. Uh, tell us about that. Yeah, no, no. I mean, super respectful dialogue. Like when <laughs> when people tag players or whatever, I, I typically don't engage. But his brother seemed um, interested in potentially having a little bit of a conversation. So we talked about Rashad's performance in terms of how you know the offensive line was at fault. He was getting tackled in the backfield a lot, which is which is true. He wasn't getting a lot of room even for the line of scrimmage. There were two or three plays where he was tackled like two to four yards behind the line of scrimmage, or at least hit. So the offensive line, that second team line did not look, did not look good. But one thing that I did point out was, you know, we mentioned Travis Homer, Travis Homer. There were several plays where he had defenders. There's one specific play on like the final drive, the last four minutes of the game where they were near the goal line in the red zone and Travis Homer, 
you know, he takes the handoff from Paxton Lynch or no, it's JT Barrett that was in that, that, that play or in that series. And, and immediately two, two edge rushers beat their defenders and they're facing Homer right there, you know, maybe two yards behind the line, behind the line of scrimmage. And Homer gives them a little shake and bake and makes like two to three yards, like positive gain out of it. And that was something we really didn't see from Penny and something I've been wanting to see from Penny. Um, you know, you can't expect him to do a ton when, let's put it this way, running backs are heavily dependent on their offensive lines. Everybody knows this. They have to block for them. When they're getting tackled in the backfield, that's not a good thing. It makes their life super difficult. But what we're seeing from Homer is a little shake and bake that we're not seeing from Penny. And I'd like to see a little bit more of it from, from Penny. It's just, it's like that shiftiness, that ability to juke guys. It's almost like an, almost like a mad play, but I, I would like to see a little more shiftiness from Penny. Yeah. And there's, there's a scouting term called playing slow. That doesn't mean running slow specifically. That just means looking a step slow and overthinking and not just playing fast. When you watch like a Tyler Lockett, he looks like he's playing fast all the time. His game speed, his straight line speed, it's very similar. Penny's not a slow runner per se, but he plays slow when nothing's there right away, and that's not a good sign for a running back. Yeah, it's it's interesting that the little wa- circle of the wagons that happens around Penny for some reason. I don't know exactly why. Like, I I'll tell. I mean, I know I have the reputation of being a Penny hater. I I don't. I would love for Penny to be great. I. I why wouldn't I want Penny to be great? I don't care where a player is drafted, what position he plays. All I care about is whether the Seahawks are going to be good. That's all I care about. And so I look at Penny and if you just objectively look at it, like the guy had six carries for negative two yards and absolutely the offensive line in front of him was horrible. I think he could be, it was Marshawn Lynch in there at his prime. Marshawn would have had six carries for like, eight yards or something. It wasn't like this was going to be some kind of great performance by some other player. So my point is mainly what Evan is saying that there are other players and yes, you know, uh, Elijah Rashad's brother was talking to Evan basically said, Hey, um, the reason Homer got more yards is because he got the toss sweep. Sure. That was one of the plays and Penny was running up the middle, but the, the other play that Evan's talking about near the goal line was right up the middle. It was basically a draw play and Homer made guys miss and he moved quickly. He was decisive. He found space. Every running back's job in the NFL is to make at least one defender miss at least one. You should never be tackled by the first guy ever. No matter if that's in the backfield or 50 yards downfield. And Rashad Penny last year was his first, first contact tackle rate was not good. Like he, he went down pretty, pretty quickly. He got better. The first game of this preseason, he broke some tackles and looked impressive, was actually shifty. This game, not so good. So I, I do think that you can't say we can't judge Rashad Penny until he plays with the first string of offensive line and then say, yeah, I was really excited about how Travis Homer played. You can't do both. Like, you, you got to judge a player by the performance they put on the field. And um, it was interesting hearing Pete Carroll today say, Oh yeah. He's doing fine. I know how to judge running backs and, and he's doing fine. All right. Well, I, I, ho- I hope that's the case, but uh, you know, it was not, I don't think it was a particularly promising game for, for Rashad Penny. And, and I want to shift the blame a little bit, to be quite honest with you. My frustration is it as like a huge Rashad Penny supporter. Like I love the dude. I really want him to succeed. I want him to break out. My frustration is not even really with Penny too much. It's the Seahawks. It's the front office. It's the coaching staff that co-signed, you know, drafting a running back in the first round. We can talk, we've talked about him, you know, for a million years and hours on end, but I think there's, it's reasonable for fans to have high expectations when you draft a running back in the first round. So that's why I think people, including myself are frustrated with Penny is because we just want to see a playmaker, somebody who's worth that first round draft stock. And, you know, Penny didn't draft himself in the first round. So you know, there, there's there's some blame in other areas here. Yeah, I saw a great uh, Twitter message. I, it was one of the former scouts on Twitter. He said during the game, he's like, Penny has had amazing college film. I thought he was going to be an amazing pro. And given all the running backs that have come out of the, the pros in the last two years, he looks like a complete bust. 
And it was hard to disagree with that. Like, it seemed like he had good college film. He was going to be a good player. But if you look at guys like Nick Chubb and some of the guys who went around him, they just look remarkably, even watching Chris Carson, and everyone says running backs don't matter. And I'm closer to that than I ever have before. But just watching the difference between those two guys is remarkably different. So um, uh, we're going to take questions as we, we like to do um, as often as we can. So um, I will, we're going to take another uh, topic here, but before we do that, I'll just, if folks have questions in the chat, this is a good time to start posting them. I think I saw one um, fly by and it was related to some of the rumors starting to pop up around maybe Everson Griffin being available. Uh, have you guys, have any of you guys heard about that or, or followed what the rumors are? Yeah, if you want to go ahead. Yeah, um, I listen to a lot of this local Seattle radio shows every day, and there's been a lot of clowny talk lately. I, I think that was just a probably a waste of time. But the name that keeps pop, I know John Clayton's been talking about him a lot on 710, is uh, Gr- Everson Griffin, who's the Vikings have some cap troubles coming up. I know Evan was tweeting about their cap situation, his cap a little bit. And Griffin's a guy who probably is making a little too much money for what they have. They have Danielle Hunter also making 14 million, something in that area. So Griffin's a guy who the Seahawks actually wanted to sign. If Michael Bennett left in free agency, like back in the day, like 2015, Griffin was their main target. So mm-hmm. Clayton believes just the price to acquire him would be a lot lower than someone like Clowney, It'd be like a mid round pick. In that case, that makes a lot of sense. But again, it could be just much ado about nothing. It more says about this, the state of the Seattle's pass rush than anything else. Does it say anything about Ansa or no? I think it just says you don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And you don't, you don't have Collier. It sounds like he's going to be out longer than maybe we thought a week or two ago. Yeah. Martin, Mingo, and Marsh are fine as like fourth rotational ends and on blitzes, but it looks like they're going to need someone else to really have a great pass rush since their secondary isn't good. And let me let me just give the 30 second cap recap for those of for yeah. those of the listeners who missed my my tweets on it. Basically the Vikings, this is Eli Five explaining like I'm five basically. So the Vikings are over 20 mil um, in, in in the red for for 20 for 2020. So they're 20 mil over the cap currently projected. He's Everson Griffin is making like 14 million or something in 2020. Yeah, 13.9 million. Um, so the way this works is they think he'll be a cap casualty regardless. So if the Seahawks gave up like our fourth or fifth round, maybe sixth round pick, um, you know, they would only be paying his base salary. His signing bonus is already pay- being paid by Minnesota. But one little funky note about his contract is if he plays over 57% of his 2019 snaps or um, has more than five sacks, the rest of the years in his contract are voided. He's currently signed through 2022. So if he has a good 2019, it's a one-year rental. That's what fans need to know is that that draft pick, if he has a good 2019, he's a one-year rental. Well, does that, does a trade trigger anything different there? And, and, you know, usually trades, like you have to, all the, the future, you know, um, signing bonus gets, you know, accelerated and all that kind of stuff. Um, he actually had a super small signing bonus, but I, I know what you're asking. And the question is no, unless like the Seahawks literally take on the contract one-to-one word for word, unless there's an adjustment or a, I see. Um, you know, renegotiation, which there could be. Yeah. So knowing that, that that's kind of the, where this is coming from. And, and I, I don't know how much you guys followed his, challenges last year he seemed to have some emotional issues he was out for i don't know if he played at all last year uh, if he, uh, played, he played four games he played a few games okay yeah so you don't really know what you're getting there um and i'm kind of curious like he obviously was a super productive pass rusher when he was healthy and on the field uh in the past is he a guy that interests either of you If it, I mean, I'm down to burn money because we have cap space. So I'm, I'm down to throw, you know, a hundred dollar bills in the fire, but the draft pick has to be like a fifth at the max. Like he's 31 years old. They traded Michael Bennett. What for a fifth round pick? I don't think I'd feel comfortable paying more than a fifth round pick. Jeff. 
Yeah, I'm the same way. It all, it all comes down to price for me. I think they do need to get a, another defensive end in there somehow, but I'm not giving up a third rounder for one year of Everson Griffin with all the risks. So, yeah, if it's a fifth rounder, sure, all day. Because you put Ansa and Griffin and all of a sudden Martin and Mingo, that, that, that group looks a And then Collier, if he comes back, that group looks a lot deeper. But it all comes yeah. down to price. There's some interesting, you know, again, reading over, over analyzing, but reading between the lines, John Clayton, when talking about the Jadavian Clowney rumors was initially like, no way, zero chance, not going to happen, not going to happen, not going to happen. Then he started changing his tune and said, well, yeah, the Seahawks might be in on that. And the last that I heard um, from someone who was talking to him um, offline uh, sent me a picture of the two of them together and, and a little summary of what they talked about was that the Seahawks are going to wait till after game two to evaluate whether they need to go out and add a pass rusher. And that makes sense to me like that, that it may be a total guess, but it makes some sense. Remember the Seahawks last year, reportedly were going to wait until they played the Rams before deciding if they were going to trade Earl Thomas. And they had, they'd kind of decided that. And of course, Earl got hurt the week before and, you know, the rest is history there. But knowing that Ziggy Ansah may be back for week one, uh, they could be kind of seeing, okay, what do we have? What do we have with these guys? And let's see just how bad it is um, before deciding. So I don't know that they feel – I don't personally feel as a fan that it's urgent that they go out and get another pass rusher. If there's a great deal that's available to them, sure. I mean, always. But – I'm pretty comfortable with the notion of let's wait this out a little bit. The trade deadlines pushed back a little bit than it has been in the past. So they have some time evaluating. What's the, what's the max you would feel comfortable giving up in terms of draft picks, Brian? Well, it depends on the player. I, I think I've gone on record saying, I think a, a second round pick for Clowney that has the potential to turn into a third round compensatory pick a year <laughs> later you know, well, two years later, well, no, a year later, I think it's very reasonable, even if he, you know, he ends up being a one-year rental. I I think that that's a totally reasonable price to pay. Whether the Texans would do that is a different thing entirely. Griffin, I need to dig into Griffin a little bit more. I'm pretty hesitant about adding someone that you just really don't know what you're going to get. Like, I guess I feel a little bit more comfortable with what we've got in even guys like Mingo and, and uh, Jacob Martin and Cassius Marsh, you know, all ends. Yeah. Well, yeah. it feels like a little bit of an expensive veteran, not risk, but kind of risk for a team that doesn't feel like they're probably competing for the Super Bowl. You think the clowny would be too expensive of a risk to, this doesn't make a whole I know we went back and forth on this on Twitter the other day, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Like I, I think this team is further away than you know a clowny a clowny from a Super Bowl competing team. I, I just think there's a lot more roster holes. I think I think I'd rather keep the second round pick, to be quite honest. Hmm. That's reasonable. Yeah, I think the other way to look at it is you would end up with clowny and you'd end up with um, Ansa in this situation and they're two veteran high quality pass rushers that have some question marks and if it works out one of them could end up being your next Cliff Averill that you do sign to a longer term deal and keep around for a little while longer it's possible so it doesn't necessarily have to be a rental although it probably would be mm-hmm. and I don't think that I mean there's one thing about what you would do there's another thing about what you're going to do if you're the coach and the GM of this team. I don't know that you're going to look at this and say, eh, we're not really good enough, so let's not get better. Like, let's not do that. If the question was, would you be a better team with Jadavian Clowney on your team this year and have better chances to, to win, is the answer yes or no? Yes, it is, but then you have I to think it's. I think it's pretty clear. Well, that's where coaches and GMs kind of – that's where I find the middle ground's tough because the GM always has to have the big picture and the long-term thinking. And John, I think with the new owner is going to be around for a while. 
Pete's in his last years. So it's interesting to know who's kind of making the call there and what their like time frame really is. Yeah. Is this Pete's last year? No, no, no. He no, just signed he that extended. Yeah. Through 21. Right. Yeah, through 21. Yeah, yeah. Probably got three more years. Yeah. This and yeah. Two including this year. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I, we'll, we'll see. I, nothing will probably happen, but I, I think that, that's kind of where I'm at there. Um, so uh, there's another question about uh, Collier, and uh, there was some news today not much of an update jeff did you hear the press conference you want to give an update on what uh yeah so they said collier's kind of mostly like week to week at this point where they said the same thing with dk where they collier's like he's starting to move a little bit and he's starting to go through some like drills inside the facility but he's not able to like change direction and turn on his it was it wasn't a high ankle sprain it was like a different kind of injury so those are more routine like four to six week injuries this one's more of a unique situation. So it's going to be a while. It's probably going to go beyond week one, but he's starting to come around, but if he's not ready to change direction, that's really important for a defensive lineman. So he's, they're probably going to ease him in. It could be like week three or week four. Yeah. Yeah. That, that seems, that seems reasonable. And, but that means they're going to have to carry him on the roster too. Like if they put him on IR, he'd have to be a guy that is IR, you know, can be, recalled later but yeah that does not seem like he's gonna be ready another guy in a similar category that they're gonna have to make a call about is phil haynes we'll talk mm -hmm. about off offensive line depth here in a second um i want to get to one of the questions in the chat but they also mentioned phil haynes is you now racing to try to get back for the beginning of the season and Pete carroll sounded pretty skeptical of that and so i think it's looking increasingly like haynes could be on pup He's already on PUP, so he's one of the few guys where they could put into that designation, which would give him six weeks and give them a roster spot. But, man, that's going to be a tough call, too. Uh, he's They're really thin at guard. Uh, they just signed a couple, uh, a tackle and a guard today. They had to put Posick back in last week after Demetrius Knox got hurt, and Posick's not even the you – know, he's the backup of you know for a guy, so Yupati's hurt. So – They've got some challenges there. And if they have to keep Haynes and Collier, two guys that can't play on the roster that might not be able to play for first few weeks, that's kind of tough. I think, I think Haynes is an obvious PUP guy. I think that way you can store some, some depth for one of those spots, kind of develop them. Cause he hasn't really, pra he hasn't practiced all training camp. He's going to need some time to get his legs under him. You would think so. And he's, he'd be inactive probably for the games anyway. So you might as well PUP him. It just That's, sucks that you potty is – doesn't sound like he'll be ready for week one either. Yeah, it's it's confusing. Um, it's not clear based on what Pete Carroll said, and and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, so questions are interesting. Did you hear what he said about him? I did, I think. But what, what maybe well, I missed. I found it interesting. He was like – Postic's playing great, but as soon as Upati comes back, he's playing. I don't care. <laughs> There's no competition. I see. You're talking about how he's talking about Postic. Yeah, he. I, that interesting. I don't think that Postic is particularly well thought of in that coaching staff. I mean, I don't. I think part of it is Postic is not a super strong lineman, especially on the run. He's a good pass blocker. He, he's better than average, but. Fuck you, Tom Cable. Sorry. Continue. <sighs> You know, I think you should put some of that FU towards uh, your boy, John Schneider, because Tom Cable, Ethan Posick was one of the only offensive linemen drafted during the Cable area that Cable did not scout. They were very clear about that. And, there, and it seemed like that was this turning of the page where Schneider finally had decided, oh, yeah, I realized that Cable is terrible and toxic on personnel, so I'm going to do it. And he ended up drafting Posick. Sometimes even the best people make mistakes, Brian. Uh-huh. <laughs> the 2017 Seahawks draft is the most frustrating thing. And that, that's including Petty. If Sha and now that like their Shaq was like one of their prized guys in that class, and Tedrick went like one pick before Eddie Jackson, and Juju went one pick after Posick, it's the most frustrating. Don't look at that. Any Seahawks fan. It's incredible. Yeah, It'll tough. go crazy. 
All right, there is a question from Colin uh, Lundstrom in our chat. Uh, his question is, what is the status of Naz Jones? Do we think he gets cut in favor of Meter and or Quentin Jefferson? What a weird career arc. I know we've talked about it, but something, something is going on behind the scenes here. He messed with Pete Carroll's spiritual juju. Something's wrong. Um, I could absolutely see him being cut. I, I don't think he's a lock at all. Which is weird because I feel like he's talented. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, Pete was pretty clear in in the meeting in a press conference today. Naz has got some sort of knee issue. It sounds like there might be some kind of work being done. He called it tendonitis, but says that wasn't technically what it was. He's barely been playing. He's low on the depth chart. He was in doghouse last year. If he makes it, it would be one of the all-time head scratchers. Uh, so I I haven't expected him to make it for quite some time, and nothing's changed for me there. I was going to say, who? When, when was the last time we've seen Naz Jones? Yeah, I, I'm Evan Evans Ray. I don't I don't know what the hell happened that year in 2017. He was one of the bright spots of that draft class, and his career has gone down the tubes. Like I, I don't think there's a chance he makes the team. Yeah, yeah, good question. I I, I think. I expect Quentin Jefferson to make the team. I do not expect uh, Meter to make the team at this point. So we'll, we'll I've got to do my next uh, 53 and, and look there. I, yeah, I know that ProSize will not be on my next 53. So Evan will be happy about that, but. Um, well, that's an obvious one. Yeah, but uh, I think receivers, the other one guys, that still is just gonna be really tough. Gary Jennings did nothing, nothing. And. I think you got it. Malik Turner, he was he was ahead of all of the guys that everybody talks about in the rotation. He's still he was playing with the ones, mm -hmm. and he plays he does, he does contribute on special teams. So I still think Malik Turner is going to make the roster, and I think it's one other guy out of the the rest. And I had to guess. <sighs> Before the game, I would have said it was Jennings just based on that one practice was probably good enough to make them feel like they want to keep him around. But now, like, I, I think Ursua is the guy that has got to be the leader in the clubhouse for that six receiver. It's definitely not Jazz Ferguson. And you nobody... can't cut him. You can't cut Ursua. If you cut him, he's gone. End of story. I know you want Ursua, Evan. Where are you at, Jeff? Uh, I find it tough with Jennings because I don't know how you can evaluate him. He only played with second team last week and the second team left tackle had an absolutely abysmal game. You couldn't even run a play. So you couldn't evaluate receivers at all. I think it was a mistake by the Seahawks not giving him some first team snaps because I think that's a much better way to evaluate him because he's not going to play with Paxton Lynch or Chino or whatever. So I, I need to see more. I think Ursua is more unique as we talked about a lot. So I think Ursua will make the team just because they need another slot guy. But if, if they keep six guys it's and DK is not going to be playing for a bit, maybe that does bring Jazz Ferguson in the mix if he gets better the next couple of weeks. And it seemed like Turner, you've been the only one on Turner, but when last week he was the one playing with the ones and he was the fourth guy up after since Metcalf didn't play. David Moore's been a little quiet and people talk about him a lot. Yeah, but, everybody wants to say that David Moore's going to get cut. No, no, no. I, I, that's a fan. That is a fan call if I've ever seen one. You know, it's just it's not going to happen. Um, yeah. I, I'm with you both. I think Arsua makes the team. Interesting. Um, so, good question here from Niels Toy One. He says, "What makes a Super Super Bowl contender, and what are the Seahawks missing as part of that?" Obviously, that's a very, you know, you can go very deep on that question. But at a high level, Evan, you're like, hey, they're not a Super Bowl contender this year. What are they yeah. missing to make them a Super Bowl? Yeah, no, I think the that's a really good question. But the first thing that comes to my mind are playmakers. Defensive side of the ball, offensive side of the ball, special teams. Outside of Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, I just don't think they have enough playmakers. Marquise Blair has looked good. Of course, Cody Barton is looking good as a rookie. But there's just no – dynamic playmaking talent beyond those two players that you can count on for every single game. There's just not those blue chip elite players on this squad. Um, yeah. So you don't think that Tyler Lockett is a playmaker. You don't think um, Ford is a playmaker. You don't think Dwayne Brown. You don't think that. 
I well, I'm thinking I'm thinking Michael like Hendricks. I'm thinking like touchdown scoring, turnover causing playmakers, players uh-huh. that either score touchdown. You you know what I mean? Like put points on the board like physically. Um, I don't even know if I would consider any of those players like in the same category as Bobby Wagner and Russell Wilson, though. Well, you're talking about two of the best players in the NFL, right? So that's a high. But, that, but, that's, what, but that's what you need to win the Super Bowl. I, I think you have to have an abundance of playmakers. Got it. Got it. How about like, you? Like, like if you, real quick, if you look back to like Super Bowl 48, look, Cam Chancellor, Earl Thomas, Richard Sherman all top five at their position, Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright, both probably top five at their position um, on the defensive line, like Red Bryant, like Chris Clemens, like Michael Bennett, like Cliff Aver- like that's playmaking talent. Sure. That, that is the most talented team of the decade. Yeah. I think sure. that's the, I don't think we can compare That's the best team in the last 15 years. Sure. sure. But I, I think my answer is a lack of playmaking talent. Yeah. I, I, I hear you. I get it. Jeff, what what's what's the biggest gap between this team being able to contend for a Super Bowl and what they currently have in your mind? I'd say having just elite strengths. Um, defensively, they really their linebackers are good. They're probably the best in the league, but they have weaknesses in two of the three important areas. Offense, we think they can be great as a play action. We know they'll be okay at running, but we don't know how. You know, they're not elite at anything. I think they're very good at a lot of things. Russell Wilson's a great quarterback, but if you look at the, someone like the Rams, they have an elite offense. The Eagles have an elite offensive line and that makes their offense great. Um, the Patriots have the best quarterback of all time and the best coach of all time. The Seahawks are very good in a lot of areas, which is why I think they're a 10 win team, but they're not really elite at anything. And that kind of goes into what Evan says about great players in 2013 and 2014, their defense was historically good. 2015, they were historically good. They were an elite defense. Denver Broncos with a terrible broken quarterback won the Super Bowl with an elite defense. Mm-hmm. Most teams win now with elite offenses. The Seahawks are very, have potential to be a very good offense, but they lost Earl. They lost Doug. I don't know if they're elite at anything. Yeah, I mean, in my, my research around Super Bowl teams, I mean, I think – it's related to what both you guys are saying. Generally, a Super Bowl team is going to have at least two and generally three all-pro players, at least. I think the Seahawks have two um, and the guys that, that we mentioned with Bobby and, and, and Russell, potentially. Russell has not been an all-pro yet in his career, believe it or not. But I think he could take the next step to be one of the, you know, top – four QBs, top two QBs in, in the NFL this year. That, that's possible. Um, and then I don't know that they've got a third. Puna Ford, maybe? How's Dwayne that? Brown. I'd say Dwayne Brown. Dwayne Brown? Dwayne Brown was an elite player last year. Yeah, so, I mean, I think they've got some of that. And generally, Pro Bowl teams will have seven to – sorry, Super Bowl teams will have seven to eight Pro Bowl players um at least on their roster often they'll have more than that but you know i i don't know that they've i don't know that they've got those guys there yet um in in enough spots so i i think dk metcalf is a potential blue chip player that they've added and and i don't know that he's going to become a blue chipper this year but he could become a big factor i think tyler lockett's right there and is still underappreciated and you know i think that people are still sleeping on guys like will disley we don't know exactly what we're getting there uh, i think they're sleeping on chris carson i think chris carson could easily be a top five back in the nfl this year and i do think this offense overall people forget it was you know fifth or sixth scoring offense last year in the nfl second best scoring uh, team in team history i think uh, I think they, I think they're better this year than they were last year on offense. I think they're meaningfully better. So could this be a team that scores 28 points a game? I, I think it could be. And, and I think, 
does not mean I think they're a Super Bowl contender, but I, I think that it's not unrealistic to think I, I'm probably closer right now to thinking this team could win 11 games than I am to thinking that they're going to win 10 based on what I'm seeing. Um, uh, the other thing I'd add there is depth. That's another area they just, they, they're thin. They do not have the guys behind the guys behind the guys the way that they've had in the past. Um, and, and it's a war of attrition out there. So guys get hurt. Um, all right. Uh, yeah, someone's mentioned Michael Dixon is definitely an all-pro player. So oh, yeah. They're elite at punting. Yeah. And they will probably maybe elite at kicking this year. Thanks for, for Evan. Um, but let's talk about um, let's talk about nickel corner for a second because that's one of the battles that we've all been keenly watching. And we've all got our favorites and, and different guys that have been involved. But Pete Carroll today – said something I've been kind of waiting for him to say for a while. He said, Jamar Taylor is going to start at nickel this, this weekend. And he's earned was his quoted word, uh, earn that chance. I think that he is, he's a seven or eight year vet. So, you know, the team would rather see a young player grab that spot, like a Kalen Reed or like King King or, you know, even Ugo Amadi, but Taylor has been clearly the best nickel corner during the, the practices um before i ask you guys what your thoughts are there i am going to ask you do you have any rec idea of what how many times if if uh akeem king was targeted five times in the game last week do you have any idea how many times the ball was completed thrown in his direction one one how about you jeff i'd say, I'd say five yeah what? The Vikings were five for five passing against Akeem King for Akeem King might have been the worst player in the field. Seven. Holy hell, how did I miss that? Yeah, he had in pro football focus, he had the worst coverage grade of any player on the roster. It was 28.9. I haven't seen a coverage grade that low in a long time. I bet if I went out and looked at all the players over week two, that's probably one of the one of the bottom five grades for a cornerback in the NFL for that preseason week. So Kim King went from being the highest graded player in week one for the Seahawks to one of the lowest in the league. So he's opened the door. Where are you guys at on the nickel spot? Evan, what do you want to see happen there? Hugo Amadi is somebody that we should definitely be watching. Pete, absolutely raved about him today i'm not sure if you guys saw the quote it was let me see if i could pull it up but basically he said like he's a super exciting player for us every single time he's on the field he does something excellent or something like that he's done something every time he's been on the field he's been a really exciting player for us that's that that could be you know what maybe you're starting nickel quarter i i, I think he's going to be competing with jamar taylor for that spot and and that's a good competition to have there. I, I think even I, I think Amadi at this point is a lock for the roster, especially when you consider like his special teams contributions. Like everybody saw the big hit he laid on that uh, punt, that Viking punt returner. I think um, he's versatile and he's exciting. It, it's a competition to definitely watch. Jeff, where are you? Yeah, and my first thought today, just saying, we we haven't talked enough about Jamar Taylor on the show. We talked about. King and uh, Kalen Reed and even I think Boykins was a guy we spent a lot of time on early in training camp. But Jamar Taylor was like a high draft pick a couple of years ago, second round pick. I think he's 28 years old or 29 years old. He's a four or four guy or four, three, nine guy. Like he's a, he's an interesting prospect. He's not like a run of the mill, like Marcus Trufon at the end of his career, trying to play nickel corner. He has like some pretty good skill. He's bounced around the league more as an outside guy, but inside he's actually done, a lot better. So he's actually an interesting player. It's kind of a stopgap. I'm like Evan. I want to see Amadi win that job. Um, I remember after our, the first preseason game, our show, I couldn't stop like raving about Amadi. His game speed looked to me, it jumped off the page. There was so much talk after they drafted him about how his 40 time was too slow to be a corner or a couple other things about his film. But I know Will, who went to, who's an Oregon guy, he loved Amadi and watching him kind of step forward when all those like hype trains slowed down. 
that really makes made me excited. That hit on special teams was like everyone in the league was talking about that. Jeff Schwartz tweeted that out. And I for just from an upside perspective and from a fun perspective, I'm really hoping Amadi gets that job. I want to see more young guys on the field with big upsides. But if you have to start Jamar Taylor as Amadi kind of gets his feet wet, I think that's a pretty good transition plan. And you can kind of have those two battle it out. It doesn't seem like Akeem King is a good fit for that role at all. He was getting burned by second-tier players, like guys who were in the CFL last year. And I don't know what Kalen Reed does. I don't know much about him. I'm not going to lie. But I think those two are much more intriguing to me than the guys we probably initially thought this job would go to. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I definitely wanted to see Amadi take that role. And, you know, the team's really made it tough on him in a lot of ways. They've asked him to play free safety. They've, and he's played the bulk of his time there. He really hasn't gotten as many reps at nickel. It's going to be hard for him to win that role, at least out of camp. And, you know, he's making plays. He's going to make the roster. No doubt about that. He's a lock. I think he probably starts as a special teamer. And I think Jamar Taylor probably holds on to that spot as a starter going into the season. And then hopefully that flips as time goes on. But um, man, uh, there's a lot of question marks there. I, I, I thought, I thought Trey flowers, besides the fact that he gave up that 45 yard pass interference actually in good position to make a play there you know I, I think that you can feel somewhat like maybe that's a decent sign it's not a terrible sign and and he's not getting just trashed out there but that Shaquille Griffin play was pretty concerning and we'll see I you know I, I think they're gonna get more they're gonna get more reps this week it says a lot that the team's been playing Flowers and Griffin well into like past when all the other starters are coming out so i think that they don't yet feel like those guys have arrived at all and uh on one hand it's good that they're doing that on the other hand it's troubling that they feel like they have to do that so um uh, the, those the you know there's no doubt at all that the biggest question mark on this team is the secondary i mean i think it's a bigger question mark than the pass rush and i thought that was going to be the biggest question mark going into this year so I thought, I don't know what you guys thought. I thought Markevious Mingo, Cassius Marsh, Jacob Martin again, like looked like they did okay. Yeah, the, the pass rush was fine. It was, it, was, it was surprisingly, I think, decent. So offensive line we talked about a little bit. I do want to get you guys' take on <laughs> what you think is going to play out there. So just to summarize for folks, um has been out for weeks do not know when he's going to get back ethan posick's been stepping in for him at left guard george fant is out do not know when he's going to get back they're hoping maybe week one but we don't know so that's a guard and a tackle well tight end slash tackle uh phil haynes your fourth round pick who is your next in line at guard He's out, probably going to be on PUP. Jamarco Jones, who's your other tackle backup, was out last week. I think they're hoping he's going to be back this week, but we don't know. And then you lost Demetrius Knox last week, who was a backup rookie guard and not going to make the roster. But, I mean, where are you? Like, besides the obvious top four, or top five in this case, if you count Posick. So, Dwayne Brown, Posick, Britt. Uh, Fluker and Afedi, set them aside for a second. Who are the guys behind those guys that are healthy that you'd be comfortable coming into a game? Would it help if I read some names so you guys knew who's on that list? Probably. <laughs> I mean, that's how it is, right? I mean, it's that bad that I'm struggling to remember names. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they just signed Brian Wallace at tackle. I'm guessing he's not a name you're going to feel too comfortable with. Joey Hunt, I think his chances improve. He can play guard or center, you know, and he has played. So I love how that's like the standard. He may have played football once occasionally, <laughs> has, has, has a pulse. 
you've got Marcus Martin, who has played guard and he's been a center and he played tackle in this game because he had to. He's certainly not a tackle, um, but he, you know, Jordan Roos. Jordan Simmons is also on that list of injuries. He's not out. So that's three guards that are out. Landon Turner's a guy that they signed today. Uh, who else? Elijah and Kansa is the guy that got just trashed last week. I mean, he was not good. Not good. It's pretty thin, guys. I mean, any of those names, you're like, oh, yeah, if they had to play him for a game, we'd be okay. Hell no. And if I'm John Schneider, I'm exploring the guard trade market. That's what I'm doing. Because that, that, that position group is a problem. Yeah, it feels like that's a decent a decent chance for trade for depth. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I mean, have we heard anything on Jordan Simmons and whether he's coming back? Jeff, have you heard anything there? Uh, yeah, Pete talked about him a little last week. It just didn't seem like he was close to coming back. It sounded like he had, another, he had more work done in the offseason. And durability has been the story of his college career. That's why Oakland got rid of him. It doesn't seem like he he might be a like I don't know an IR guy for this year, but it's unfortunate. Wait, he, was... he just had another knee surgery. Yeah, so I, I don't think he's ready to play anytime soon. Marcus Martin's a guy who like has played in the NFL before as a guard. He had to play tackle last week. He might make the team, or he might be around as like a call up guy. But Ethan Posting might get a lot of playing time to start the season. And we better prepare ourselves for that because not good. And yeah. I'd like to see Jamarco Jones come back. The drop off between him and the – and I don't know how to say that guy's name. Kansa. Yeah. Who played left tackle last week is dramatically different because fans down right now. They're down on some very good backups. They're like They looked like they had a deep offensive line coming into the year with Simmons and Haynes and Posick. Seemed like a, he'd moved to center. Jamarco Jones and Fant, that looks like a really good backup group, and almost all those guys are gone. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 an issue, guys. And there's been some years where the offensive line just plays the same five, play every game, and you just kind of forget about it. It's like, oh, yeah, those guys are just rock solid. And then there's other years where guys go down regularly, and this year, if they have any more guys go down, they're – they're going to be really struggling to, to field a, a functioning offense. And if the offense is going to have trouble because the offensive line is, is, is really struggling, then you're starting to look at some challenges. So this is a pretty big deal um, in terms of the dominoes and the, the structure of this team. The offensive line being good is pretty damn important if you want this team to make the playoffs. So I think this is one to watch. I think Posick's been okay. I think you potty. This was the big concern with them deciding that was going to be they, the guy they signed. You go, you potty, and you go, Fluker. Mm -hmm. You're going to be very fortunate if both of them play more than 13 games. You know, like that would be super fortunate. So uh, you need guys like Jordan Simmons. You need guys like Posick behind them. You need other players. And I think George Fant becomes pretty important too because. There may be a situation where you need to slide a Fetty inside and have him play guard and play have Fant play tackle, but you don't have that option without having somebody that can play tackle um, for you reliably. Not that a Fetty's the best at that role either. So that's that's one to watch. Um, I think those are the main storylines. I guess going into this final week as we start to wrap up here. I mean, what are the what are the things typically? the way that the team does these third preseason games is the starters play into the third quarter. They come out after halftime, they play one series. Um, do you think they're going to do that? Is my first question. Do you think they're going to do what they've done in the past or do you think they're going to, you know, be more conservative and not play them into the third quarter? So let's start there. Jeff, what's, what's your expectation? Yeah, it's tricky because they've, they've managed this, preseason very differently than they have in the past and 
I, I don't know if they're going to want to either build on what Russell did last week and give him a half like they usually do, or maybe they want to rest him a bit. It's tough to tell. So I think defensively, they're still trying to figure out who they are and who's going to play in the key roles similar to the first game. I think they're going to play their starters, maybe not like a Bobby or a KJ, but I think the rest of the guys, maybe not McDougald or Jaron Reed, but the rest of the guys need work. They got to figure out roles. They got to figure out their pass rush rotations. They got to figure out safeties, the corners. I think they might play into the third quarter with their starters defensively. Offensively, I don't think they're going to play Carson much. I don't think they might have to play their starting O-line more than they want to, but it's tricky. I don't. They've changed their entire structure of how they run things this, with the new strength and conditioning guys, so I don't know. I don't want to see Tyler Lockett. I don't want to see Chris Carson. I want to see the battle of the wide receiver group. I want to see each of those guys at the bottom of that group get a good amount of reps. I want to see those battles turn out and see who really, you know, stands above the rest. Um, I want to see how Penny does. I want to see how Travis Homer does. I don't need to see those guys, you know, our starters into, you know, three quarters in, it'd be nice to maybe get them a quarter and a half, but um, you know, the whole Marquise Blair and DK Metcalf scares kind of shook me up a little bit. So I, I think there's a balance here and I don't think it needs to go the full three quarters through. Yeah, that, that's kind of where I am on this. It's interesting. Usually I, I'm a, yep, let's get him into the third quarter. But at least on offense, I feel like that's flopped. I The way Russell played in this last game, I saw enough. Like I was like, all right, he's in good shape. I'd like to see him play a full quarter and, you know, get at least two or three series in. But I would be perfectly fine having Geno Smith come in in the second quarter. You know, after if Russell, let's say Russell gets like a touchdown or two and and uh, I, I don't know that I need to see much more than that. Chris Carson's another one. The great, great call out there. I really need to see Chris Carson running behind the number one line. Not really. You know, Marshawn Lynch went whole preseasons without basically getting any snaps or just getting a couple. Give him that treatment. Let him have a series, get a couple carries, save his body for the regular season. Let's see what Rashad Penny does with the the top line. See what you got McKissick, you got ProSize, you got these other guys, Homer, that that are going to play. So I think that's great. And rotating the receivers is a really great idea. So I very – it's weird. I feel differently this year than I have in the past. I absolutely would like to see them rotate those other guys in and evaluate them. I think those are the tougher decisions to make. And I think seeing those players against top – like the other, the opponents, number ones are going to tell you a lot more and hopefully make better decisions about who you keep and who you cut. So, yeah, I, w- <laughs> I want to watch Puna play, but I'd also like, I'm ready for him to take a seat because God, if Puna Ford went down, then we're really, uh, we're really thin at defensive line as well. So, um, yeah, uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how they handle it as much as how people play. And then we've got the fourth game to go still and, Man, it's crawling, guys. It's crawling. I, I'm ready for real games. I think I think we largely know what this team is going to look like. And as it stands right now, I think this team is going to be one of the better offenses in the NFL. They're going to be one of the better special teams in the NFL. And they are probably middle-of-the-pack defense. They were middle-of-the-pack defense last year. I think it's reasonable to expect they're going to be not worse than they were last year. Um, so... Yeah, I, I I don't know how much more we have to learn in the preseason to, to figure that out, but I guess we're we're gonna find out anyway. Who do um, we play this Saturday? The Chargers, not San Diego Chargers. Yeah, without Derwin James, unfortunately, that guy sad uh, mm. he's out for a while. No more uh, Gordon or Gordon. That's right. That's right. Um, all right, so let's uh, let's wrap it there. I, I do want to take a minute to to really uh, thank our sponsors and um, you know Burgermaster drove by Burgermaster up in uh, up near Mill Creek. I was playing golf up there today uh, this weekend, and uh, great Burgermaster spot there is Burgermaster down um, as you're going by. What is it? Uh, Five twenty. Yeah. Um, and great driving place, fun place to eat. Um, they've been a great sponsor for us and really good burger. So good shakes, highly recommend. Uh, I want to give Blake over at manifest fit a big shout out. So that's at, I think it's Viva la Blake on Twitter. You should totally shout him out. He's a really solid guy. 
does personal training and does it for everybody. He is kind of sick of the fact that people, the only people that get that personal trainers are rich people that have a ton of money and he's trying to make it accessible to all sorts of people and people that maybe don't want to go to a gym. Either they can't afford a gym or they don't want to be seen at a gym. And so, you know, he does it, he can do it over the web. He does it online. He texts with people, he sends them workouts, he FaceTimes with them, works around their schedule and a uh, really good guy. Great, um, great trainer. So head over to manifestfit.com. If you haven't already check them out. We're starting football season guys. Uh, I've already, I had, I had pizza tonight. It was not a good, good choice for the waistline. So what pizza? That's the real important question of this podcast. Well, do we have a pizza sponsor right now? I, and all no, due respect to Pagliacci, who I'm super <sighs> fond of Pagliacci. Tonight we went Zeke's. Um, so. Uh, Why didn't you go Papa Murphy's, which is far superior? Uh, I will not tolerate Papa Murphy's hate on this podcast. Papa Murphy is just plain mediocre. Like it is, it is not that good. And, and if you compare that to Zeke's, then. I don't know that we we have much more to talk about. I mean, that's 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 a horrendous take. I just want you to know that. Uh, the only criticism you can have of Zeke's is that it's expensive. That's the only criticism. It's so good. Have you ever you and see the things that the things that probably that that Zeke's has are things you probably wouldn't like because they involve things that aren't like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Evan Holly in the chat. Popper Murphy's is the undisputed champ. He has your name. I think that's highly suspect. <laughs> he has two first names, and I never trust people with two first names, so you have a point. Yeah, but uh, uh, <laughs> anyway, point being, I make a lot of bad food decisions during football season. Personal training, exercise, now's the time. Days are going to get shorter. Now's the time to get in your workout routine. Go to manifestfit.com. And then, you know, finally, absolutely, if you haven't already, if you're – this is an interesting time to be looking at houses, whether you're looking at them for yourself or as an investment um, with what's going on with the economy and what's going on with the interest rates. Go over and talk to John Hurlbutt at Altitude Homes. He does a great thing where actually he will donate 500 bucks of any closing costs to Ben's fund um, if they get referred from Hawk Blogger. So um, definitely check them out at Altitude Homes um, for any of the real estate stuff you're doing. So shout out to them. Please, if you haven't already, uh, you know, Give us a review, subscribe here on YouTube if you haven't already, um, give us a, th a thumbs up. And if you are not a patron, please, patreon.com slash hawkblogger. I see Colin Lundstrom, thank you so much, uh, made a donation in the super chat. It's that easy, uh, you know, he dropped some money in there. That's super helpful. And we will continue to look for ways to invest in the show and make it better. Trying to figure out how to get the fellas backdrops that are as cool as mine but you know so far it's it's not pretty not pretty when that happens so we're gonna work on that and uh figure that soon in um <laughs> with all that said uh thank you all for tuning in it's been fun we will be doing are we doing a post game show this weekend evan we are so everybody that's listening like five to ten minutes typically Basically, near the end of the fourth quarter, we'll tweet out links. We'll do a post-game reaction show, um, Q&A, all that stuff, rant. We'll have fun. Cool. And news breaking, we have some new folks who are going to be joining the pod from now, now and then. Um, Ashley Ryan is, is uh, one person who's going to join. She's uh, hopefully been listening tonight. She uh, couldn't join tonight, but maybe we'll have her on next week. And there's some other folks we're talking to. We'll, we'll let you know. Um, but we're going to kind of – mix and match and uh, we'll start bringing in some guests as well. So lots of good stuff ahead. Hope everybody has a great, great Wednesday night and uh, go Hawks.